You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. I don't like being this close. I know Steve does, but I'm going to scoot back just a little bit. Good morning. Good morning. My name's Deva. Um, that was my husband, Charlie, who just read the scripture. And we've been attending Genesis as a family for a little over three years. Um, I have been on this schedule to preach this Sunday. Um, I think since last December, or at least since the beginning of this year. And sometime in September, I sat down and read through all the lectionary text um, and immediately was drawn to this Mark passage. Um, But I didn't start my sermon then. I just kind of sat with it and thought about it and looked at what God might have for us. And then Haynes was let go over budget concerns. And I said, dear God, do not make me get up there and talk about giving. That's a true story. So then I read through all the lectionary text again, thinking like there has to be something else we can talk about, something maybe light and really feel good. Um, There just wasn't anything there. Um, So then I came really close to just pulling the plug on the whole thing, saying I can't do this. It's too hard. I just didn't want to. Um, And as some of you know, I'm part of a community at the Transforming Center in Chicago, which among other things means that once a quarter I take a silent retreat, whether I like it or not. And the last one was two weeks ago right after Haynes preached, um, and I had no interest in going this time. I had been doing a really good job of keeping myself busy and distracted and not dealing with things, uh, and I knew that if I stopped, I was going to have to deal with things, and I did. Um, I also went into that retreat already having made up my mind that as soon as I got out of the retreat, I was going to call Weens and say, really sorry, but I can't preach this coming weekend. Um, But I came out of that retreat time feeling like there's some things that needed to be said, maybe some things that we need to hear. Uh, So here I am. 
And I'm not up here as a leader or an elder or a pastor. I'm none of those things. I'm up here as one of you, a person of Genesis, who's sometimes given the opportunity to preach. So I hope that when I'm talking to you this morning, you understand that I'm talking to us and that these are things I'm walking through myself. And I'd like to start us off with some prayer. God, as we stop before you, help us to understand, help us to see, help us to be open to what you have for us, and give us the courage to walk forward. Amen. So this passage starts with Jesus warning people about the scribes, the religious leaders, who are pridefully walking around, they're taking advantage of people, they're making a big show of their piety, and Jesus is not impressed. And then he sits down and he begins to observe people coming and giving. Um, Actually, I really like that. I have this image of Jesus like sitting down, his back up against a wall, maybe knee up, and just kind of watching people. Um, And when we read the scripture, we tend to identify with someone in the story, whether we're doing that consciously or not. So if there's a protagonist and an antagonist, we typically think we're the protagonist. If there's an oppressor and an oppressed, we're the oppressed. We're never the tax collector, never the unrighteous ruler, never the wayward religious leader, never the sinner, always the saint, right? And much of that is how we've been taught to read the scripture um, and our blind privilege. That's a whole nother sermon. (laughs) But so far in Mark 12, Jesus has interacted with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, large crowds of people, And here he's observing what people are coming and giving, um, but he doesn't go right up to the widow and say, nicely done. And he doesn't go talk to the wealthy people about their giving either. Instead, he calls his disciples to him and wants to talk to them about what he's seen. He wants to talk to the people who are seeking to follow him and learning to be like him. And I was having a conversation with a friend about this, and she reminded me that Jesus talks to the disciples about graduate-level stuff, um, things that maybe some other people aren't ready to hear. But Genesis is a congregation. I think we're ready for a next-level conversation. So today, let's picture ourselves as the disciples sitting with Jesus and trying to understand what he's teaching us. The text says, Jesus calls his disciples and says to them, Truly I tell you, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So this brings up some questions for me. Um, And this is an all play. What questions does that raise for you? Am I giving enough? Now what's she going to live on? She gave everything she had, now what? Um, One of the questions that I had was, were the rich people wrong to be giving what they gave? Um, The wealthy people, it says, are giving out of their abundance, their excess, their leftovers. They're giving what they don't think they'll miss. And I don't think they're wrong for giving. They're doing what they were supposed to do, what was expected of them. 
and probably nothing more. And this morning, I'd like to look at this not just from a money perspective, but are we giving of ourselves? Are we giving all of our resources? Sure, money is part of that, but what am I doing with my time, my talents, my energies, my possessions? Am I generous with forgiveness? Am I generous with love? What else do I have to give? I give, but do I just give what's expected of me? Do I just give what I feel like giving or what I have to spare? Do I have an abundance of something that I treat like it's everything I have? Is my idea of what constitutes enough so skewed by society and by my own fear? And sometimes the answer to all those questions is yes. For me, it's often a result of a scarcity mentality. It goes something like, if I give that away, whatever that is, then I'm worried I won't have enough for me or for my family. And again, this isn't just about money. Richard Rohr says, we are loved and chosen so that we can pass on the experience, not hoard the experience. In fact, if we feel a need to guard it, as if it were limited or scarce, that is the certain evidence that we have not accessed the infinite source within ourselves. And I think this is part of why the widow's gift is so commendable in the eyes of Jesus. Why does he tell the disciples that her two small coins are worth more than all the money that rich people are throwing in? Because she was giving everything she had. When you have nothing left, you are in a place of utter dependence on God. We have nothing to guard, nothing to hoard. Our only posture is God, my only hope is you. And what I hear Jesus saying in this passage is that, that trust, that giving of yourself, that dependence, that's what I'm looking for. In October, I had the opportunity to go to Tijuana uh, with the Global Immersion Project and a few other people from Genesis. And we stayed at a migrant shelter while we were there. And we had the opportunity to meet with people who literally have nothing. Um, people that are part of the migrant caravan show up in Tijuana and they have no home, no food, no clothing except for what is currently on their bodies. And often they've been wearing those same clothes for three to four months. We sat down and met with a man who oversees one of these shelters and I watched him weep as he talked about just the horrors that these people are facing. But then I watched his face transform with joy when he got to talk about how he was able to provide clean clothes, food, and safe shelter for some of these mothers and their children. Absolute joy and gratitude over basic things that we take for granted. And there were a lot of things I took away from this experience, but one of them was that people who live life like this truly know what it means to be dependent. Meanwhile, our culture, our society, our wealth make it really hard for us to see our dependence. In Mark 10, Jesus is speaking again to his disciples about the rich man who was un unwilling to sell all that he had. He said how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
This is because wealth clouds our ability to see our dependence. And stepping outside of that is really scary. Think about if you were to ask God to strip away everything that blinds your dependence. What are you afraid you would lose? I mean, this, is, this is hard stuff, and it takes incredible courage. And it also takes courage to be the church. I've had a lot of conversations with people over the last few months about what does it mean to be the church? And not just Genesis, like the church. And the primary question is, what is the church? What does it look like? What should it look like? Recently, I read a book called Trouble I've Seen by Drew Hart. And in it, he says, the church isn't the kingdom of God just because we call ourselves Christian, or because we partake in sacraments, or because someone preaches on Sunday, or because we affirm and hold to a particular set of confessions. The church is the kingdom of God when and only when Jesus is present in a community that is taking on his form and way in the world. When our community begins to mirror the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those persecuted for righteousness, then it is there the kingdom of God has become visible and real in our world. When our community lives the way of Jesus in the world, when we start to look and act like Jesus, then we are becoming the church. And Philippians 2 talks about how to live like Jesus, how to look like Jesus. Verses 5 through 7 say, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. It says, Let the same mind be in you who was in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself. Jesus gave everything he had, even his life. And the only way that Jesus walked forward in this was complete and utter dependence on God. Over and over again in John's Gospel, Jesus keeps saying, the only reason I have what I have, everything I have, it all comes from God, from being connected to God, the infinite source. In the end, Jesus is talking about his disciples, who he will soon leave and he says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So what does any of this have to do with Genesis? <laughs> what do we need to hear in this message? I think we're at a crossroads right now as a church. I've talked to a lot of you who've expressed concern over what will happen next, uh, wonder where we go from here. And again, I'm right here with you. Over the last several weeks, I have been angry, I've been hurt, I've been scared, I've felt betrayed, I've been grieving a loss, um, emotions are high. And in this environment, I think there's a natural temptation to kind of pull back. Say, I'm, I've been hurt, I'm mad, I'm not real happy with my church right now. So I'm gonna sit back and watch, just see what happens. It's kind of a, uh, like, We'll see how this goes. In the meantime, I'm not going to give any money. I may or may not show up for what I'm scheduled to volunteer for, and I'm certainly not going to do anything extra. And here's what I know. 
If enough of us take that stance, then this will fail. Now, I also understand that everyone giving it all they have doesn't guarantee everything will be fine. But if we come together as a church and we give it everything we have, we allow God the opportunity to show up and to do what God does, which is bring restoration to chaos and pain and to bring beauty out of ashes. Are there things you don't like about the status quo at Genesis or things you'd like to see changed? Then stay, contribute, give of yourself, sacrifice, talk, invest and make any difference. Show up to the congregational meeting tomorrow. If you can't show up, send in your questions. If that doesn't work for you, sign up to go talk to Weens. Sorry. <laughs> don't stop giving. Don't stop volunteering. Look for things that are falling through the cracks. Look for people that are being missed. Stay engaged. Give of yourselves beyond what is convenient, beyond what is comfortable, beyond what makes sense in our culture. Again, this is hard stuff. It's hard to go against what feels right or what's normal. As part of my personal journey, my family and I have been making some difficult choices lately. Uh, choices that don't make sense to a lot of people. Choices that go against kind of the normal way of doing things. Um, we just sold our house. And I didn't really want to sell my house. I, I like my house. It feels safe and familiar and comfortable. And we had an invitation to step outside of that. And I've noticed that not only have I been uncomfortable with some of our choices lately, it makes other people uncomfortable too. Some people quietly judge and think we're crazy, which is fine. Um, others come right out and say, that is dumb, why are you doing that? What I've also noticed, though, is I've spent a lot more time hanging out with God lately. Not out of a sense of obligation or discipline, but out of a sense of desperation and dependence, out of a need to connect to the infinite source. And as much as I hate it, it's the hard times that make us grow. And if you've been alive more than a couple years, you know that's true. James 1 says when trials come, it's through enduring and suffering, through persevering through that, that we become mature. What does spiritual maturity look like? I think it looks like a person who's living a life of love, someone who is actively practicing the ways of Jesus, and someone who knows they are fully dependent on God. When Haynes preached two weeks ago, he said, I don't see anyone burning our door down, saying, Genesis, will you love me? And I think a question we need to sit with is, why not? I know a lot of people here who have the desire to do good, who have knowledge of all the issues, who have a drive to fight and hearts that really love. Like, we are so close but I think we struggle to actively put it into practice. Living the way of Jesus in the world, really loving your neighbor and fighting injustice in its many forms, this is some of the hardest, most exhausting work there is. It will wear you out physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, 
And in order to do this work, we need to be mature. We need to be able to stay in conflict in hard situations and give it everything we have. And we need to know we are fully dependent on God. Staying in this now, together as a church, might be the perfect training ground to go prepare us to go out into the world and actually make a difference. To learn to live love so fiercely and so generously that people will be coming to us and saying, Genesis, will you love me? This time might be exactly what we need in order to not only be Genesis, but to be the kingdom of God in this world. Haynes is so loved and dearly missed on staff. But we were not the church of Haynes. And we are not the church of Weens. We are the church of God. So beautiful people of Genesis, are we going to be the church? Are we going to make the kingdom of God visible in this world? Because I think we can. It's going to take hard work, and it's going to take love, and it's going to take utter dependence on God, but I think we can. A couple of weeks ago during an all-play, maybe you're here today, I don't know who it was, but somebody said they were grateful for Genesis because of how we hold the both and. And I agree. I think that's something that we do a really good job of, which is a really good thing because right now is a time of both and. Am I grieving for Genesis, or am I grateful and hopeful for Genesis? Yes. Do I have hope because of you, the people who are here, or is my hope in God? Yes. Do I think we need to give it everything we have, or do we need to sit before the Lord in stillness and in utter dependence on God?